Sarah. And I'm Trish. And this is our podcast called Trying to Win. Sarah and I are lawyers in Charlotte. Um, together, we are the owners of Lincoln Durr. It's a civil litigation law firm. We've been at this business for quite some time. And this podcast is our opportunity to share experiences, paths, trials, stories, all that good stuff. Work that we do. Yeah. And today, that's one of the things that we're going to do. We're going to be talking with one of our lawyers, Scott Addison, about medical board complaints, which historically did not make up that big of a percentage of our practice, but these days seems to be taking up a lot more of our time. We are spending a lot more time responding to complaints and conducting investigations associated with inquiries from the medical board. So um, we're really excited that Scott is joining us today. Scott is I think the longest tenured lawyer with Absolutely. us at Lincoln Durr. He's old too. Like he's, <laughs> yep, yeah. yep, yep. He's been practicing for well into 15 years yep. of and practice. I think it's 16. more than that. 16? <laughs> oh gosh. 10, which, 10 with you all. Which only means that I'm even older than I thought I was. And Scott focuses his practice largely on our healthcare clients at Lincoln Durr. So medical malpractice defense litigation, medical board issues, uh, Medicare, Medicaid investigations, those sorts of things. So we're super excited to have him here and wanted right away to start talking with him about issues related to the medical board. And what is the significance of a medical board investigation as compared to, say, a medical malpractice case? Like, what are the the big differences there? Well, well wait, who's the, what is the medical board first? Like, maybe we should back uh, up just a little bit because yeah, yeah. Uh, we may be having, you know, long, young lawyers listening and, and not really understand even that part of it. So what is the North Carolina Medical Board? Sure. Uh, well, the medical board is uh, kind of the regulatory body that oversees medical care and medical licensees, physicians and and uh, physician assistants mm -hmm. in the state of North Carolina. The, the nursing board regulates the nurses and nurse practitioners, although nurse practitioners are kind of jointly regulated. So primarily what we have to deal with is medical board, meaning physicians and, and physician's assistants. So they uh, are responsible for monitoring licensees, making sure everybody's appropriately licensed. And when issues come to their attention, they have to investigate it. Um, so how, so we were talking about medical board complaints, who, who, like who files a medical board complaint? How does that work? Yeah, anyone. And that is, um, I think from the physician's perspective, one of the frustrations with, uh, medical board complaints is that there is zero hurdle to filing a complaint and the medical board receives so many complaints that they can't they feasibly can't go back and and um, screen those complaints to see what's legitimate, what's not. So, the the providers have to respond to every single complaint that comes uh, their way. In fact, over the last fifteen years, I've only seen one where the letter from the medical board said, "FYI, we got this complaint. You don't need to respond to it." And and we we deal with uh, these complaints all the time. And, mm -hmm. and in fact, I, on uh, earlier this week, I went back and looked at our, our data. And this year, we have been averaging just about one medical board complaint per day. Oh, my God. Are you serious? Office. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had no idea there were that many. I really think I, I think it's a combination of things. First of all, the medical board, sometime within the last five to seven years, 
created an online complaint yeah, form yeah, so yeah. people can just go to the website and Battle fill interweb. the complaint out and submit it to the board that way. You no longer had to write a complaint, go to the post office, put a stamp on the envelope and mail it into the board. It it actually is just so easy for anybody to go put a complaint online. In fact, recently we are handling a complaint involving a TikTok video that included a physician and the person who filed the complaint was from a different state entirely, had never been seen by that physician as a patient, but she was offended by something that he had said on a video that got posted on on TikTok. TikTok. And it wasn't even his video. A third party was videotaping him. So it's really, like you said, Scott, the lack of a barrier and the lack of screening has become a real issue. It's like a Google review almost. Like, you know how people just go on Yelp or Google or whatever and just issue like reviews that are completely silly. Some of them really are. So what are the what are some of the things that physicians should be thinking about, Scott, in terms of when they get a board complaint? What should what should they be worried about? What should they maybe not be so worried about? Sure. Well, Obviously, when you get a board complaint, you don't know the severity of it when you get it. Since there is no barrier, you think, well, a lot of these are frivolous, but there are some very, very serious ones as well. Anytime you see one of a a hot button item such as prescribing issues or patient boundary violations, Mm -hmm. you you need to have bells and and red flags going off completely. And you need to immediately notify either your, your carrier, your attorney, your boss, someone to help you out. Um, generally, it's it's a good idea to get help with these in the first place, regardless of whether or not it's it's complete nonsense or or if it's severe. There's a lot of reasons. And when you say get so. help, what do you mean by get help with these? And yeah. ha- how do they do that? Sure. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, y- you know, most physicians are part of either a practice or a hospital system. And, and as sh- such, the vast majority are going to have some form of uh, malpractice coverage. And most of the time, that coverage includes what we call broad regulatory defense. And, and that means your, your policy will give you access to um, attorneys who, like us, who do this on a regular basis, who can help you navigate the, the medical board system what to look out for, what they like to hear, what they don't like to hear, how to appropriately respond. So you're already paying for that service. Right. Take advantage of it. Use yeah, it. absolutely. It. Um, get the folks help who who do it and and know where the the pitfalls lie. Yeah. You mentioned two things, and I want to kind of break those down a little bit. Over-prescribing issues. Are there particular areas where over-prescribing is a problem, and how do those issues get to the medical board? Certainly opioids uh, in recent years are the, the the biggest ticket item, if you will. There's, to me, there's like hydrocodone. Hydrocodone, oxy, all that stuff. It's, uh, it's in the news. There's comments about it being its own pandemic right? Mm-hmm. With uh, overprescribing of opioids and, and deaths related to overprescribing. Anytime that issue comes up, the medical board takes it extremely seriously. They, they send out investigators a lot of times to, to talk to the, the physicians. They pull records, they take samples, they dig in deep to see if, if you're doing the right thing. Especially if you're in a practice that mm-hmm. maybe doesn't regularly prescribe that level of, of narcotics. That's a really big issue 
of the medical board. So that's one yeah. of the board's hot button issues yeah. right yeah. now. And it has been for really for yeah. at least the last five or six years. Soapy. The so since safe. They, the STOP Act. Once yeah. they passed yeah. the STOP Act in North Carolina that was intended to reduce the number of opioid overdoses and the amount of opioid diverting that was going on in North Carolina. And it has helped some, but probably in most people's eyes, not enough because we still have people dying from opioid overdoses. Um, but another one of the hot button areas you mentioned was boundary violations. Yes. Explain to us what boundary violations might look like. They come in um, different shapes and sizes. One. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, at, one that's come into my lap recently uh, on a couple of occasions is physicians dating patients. Yeah. Um, and Not and cool. Can't do it. Can't, can't <laughs> do it while you're actively treating them. Um, in, in my recent cases, the, the physician-patient relationship has ended uh, either before they started dating or because they wanted to start dating. And so timing is always an issue. Uh, but that's a delicate dance to mm -hmm. to have with the medical board. You know, make sure you paper your trail and transfer your care of that patient very concretely to someone else, or the medical board may may look very questionably on you. Other types of boundary violations, clearly inappropriate touching, mm -hmm. right? Both intentional <laughs> and unintentional. And unintentional. Right. I think we, uh, I, I can't remember, Sarah or Tricia, it was your case where it was uh, either, I think it was an OB or a, a GYN or family doc walked into a room Patients up in stirrups, trips and falls right into where he never should have been. So <laughs> that's that can be an unintentional Whoops. boundary violation. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> he had um, a foot problem. He did. Yeah. And uh, other times, in, in addition to touching, comments, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you cannot comment on a patient's clothing or clothing physical or appearance. Physical yeah. appearance or how the appearance of some of their anatomy may oh, look. Oh, good grief. That could be construed by the patient as inappropriate and mm -hmm. medical board concurs with that. So. <laughs> well, and the, 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 the easy one with the boundaries with the patients is, is just a chaperone. You really shouldn't be in an exam room alone with a patient. It That's just, right. it's just, that turns it into a, you know, somebody said one thing and the provider said another, or someone doesn't understand what a breast exam is and misconstrues it as inappropriate touching chaperones is the key to, That's to that. That's particularly is. true if you are in a practice where the patient disrobes as part of what yeah. you're doing. And, you know, in other practices, well, like, yeah, for fair. example, orthopedics, it's not as big a deal because generally speaking, the patients aren't disrobing right. and you're, you know, manipulating an extremity, which should not cause a boundary violation issue, although you never, you never know. But yeah, yeah, I think chaperoning is something that the board actually here in North Carolina has a position statement mm -hmm. on is something that the board really pushes, particularly in those instances where you have patients who have disrobed as part of the process of, of their examination with the physician. What other things go to the medical board that we deal with regularly beyond the boundary violations and over-prescribing? There are a couple of other areas that we kind of see regularly that we really strongly encourage our physicians to to use our services to help them in, in providing that information to the board. Anytime there is a, a bad outcome or a standard of care mm -hmm. issue, which thankfully is not the majority of the claims we see, but but there's a fair number of, of times where a patient doesn't, for example, I think we have one where a, a LASIK procedure did not go as the patient had hoped would go. 
we know there's there's not a guarantee. There's no absolute success rate on these things. There's going to be complications. And uh, while there may not be a lawsuit somewhere in there with that complication, there's nothing to prevent the patient from filing a complaint. And so the medical board has to evaluate, well, was the standard of care mm-hmm. met? So anytime standard of care is at issue, we may or may not want to go out and get an outside review so that we can have our own support. Like an expert. Like an expert. Um, and, and that's helpful to the medical board because we've had a number of instances where uh, a medical board reviewer, so the medical board will send yeah. the case out for review as well. And that, that reviewer may come back with criticisms. But we have submitted our own expert report where our expert was fully supportive. And so what the medical board has done, at least on, on a number of occasions, is come back and say, we had an expert have some concerns. Mm-hmm. Your expert was was okay. So we, are, we aren't going to discipline you at all, but just keep this in mind. Right. And that's it. So th- those anytime standard of care is an issue, it, it is helpful to, to engage some help. You know, a lot of... Not a lot, but some physicians' ego becomes involved and they may think, well, of course I did this right. They'll fire off the response to the medical board without really appreciating what the issues are. And, and, and that can get them into trouble if the medical board goes ahead and dings them and then they come to us saying, we need help now. And it's, it's kind of hard. Yeah, that's, that's an important thing that actually came up. I was with one of the medical board investigators yesterday and he was interviewing a few of our clients on an issue on a complaint that came in. And the complaint that came in was one thing, but the investigation now has turned into something else entirely. And so I think a lot of times our physicians just see what the complaint is, they address the complaint, and they miss some of the nuance that might come up as part of the process. And trying to answer all of the questions that might arise by really evaluating the entire circumstance is really important because in this particular instance, the complaining party is now going to become the focus of the investigation instead of the other way around. You know, I'm not sure that the complaining party realized that could happen to them. And I think they're going to be very surprised, but I also think they're very much at risk of losing their license as a result. So knowing the full scope of what can happen to you as a healthcare provider is really important in addressing these things. I'm going to add to that because I think it's important for our audience to understand why it's so important to get an attorney. And, and, And that's a good example is the issue spotting component of it. You know the and and also what Scott said about the the physician writing a letter and having something in there that's you know uh, offensive or creates another issue, that can happen as well. Uh, really though, a lot of times what we've seen is that they go they're mad about something the patient is, whether it's overcharging or a misdiagnosis allegedly whatever, uh, or some complication. They're they're angry, right? They they have to be mad enough to take that affirmative action, take their time and file this complaint. And a lot of times I think they've already gone to see an attorney in wanting to file a medical malpractice lawsuit and the attorney has either said, yeah, you know, you really don't, I'm not taking this case or you really don't have a good case, but you know, you can go to the medical board and complain. Now, a lot of times I think they are making the complaints and if the physician gets dinged, then the attorney is taking the case and and turning it into a medical malpractice case because now you've been disciplined. Right. That's right. So for, for the reason why you need a lawyer is because the wording that you use the way you respond to the complaint is something that is given, right, Scott? To the it's given to the patient who complains. The statutes say that that the patient is right. uh, allowed to receive the response okay. upon request. It's yes. not automatic; That's they right. have to ask for it. But their lawyer is also entitled. Right. 
it's either them or their legal representative is entitled to a copy of the response to the complaint at the board. And so what you say in your response could easily become an issue in a subsequent malpractice case. So that is a huge risk factor and one good reason why you want to make sure that you've got you've engaged legal assistance to help you with it. The other thing with the the getting legal assistance is other general cautionary prophylactic advice, I guess. For example, don't be texting everybody about this. You know, please don't. Please don't post on social media about your frustration with the medical board process or uh, don't don't text a bunch of people saying, oh, gosh, you know, this patient's complained. I really messed up. Those kinds of things people don't think about do come into play if there is a, uh, a later on a medical malpractice case because they're going to ask for that stuff. And it, it, it could be a game changer. We've all three seen that. Well, and the board so, can issue orders to produce, and it's not that's true limited too. So it can be to medical minute, right. records. And so if you're putting things in writing and email or in text messages, the board is entitled under their statutory authority to request documents from you and from third parties. So you need to be very careful about what you're putting in writing. Yeah. So that also goes back to you know, the medical board complaints don't have a barrier, but malpractice cases require expert review and support mm-hmm. of the plaintiff's claim before you can file it. So we, we saw that after tort reform back in 2011, we feel the, the number of, of medical board cases started to jump at that time when the cost of filing the case mm-hmm. was expensive. So attorneys would tell their clients, go try and get the, the doctor dinged by the medical board. And then we're talking, we'll get you a good settlement uh, right away. Okay. You guys have both used the term dinged. Can you okay. explain what it means <laughs> in front of the medical board to get a ding? I don't know. To get in trouble. Yeah. yeah yes, but right. what are, what are the, what are, what the are the possibilities? Are yes. What are the possible dings that you can mark. get? Sure. I, I guess going from less severe to most severe, clearly the, most common outcome that we see, which we like to see, is what we call a no further action letter. Mm-hmm. And that's a letter that we receive from the medical board saying, thank you so much for participating in this process. We'll send you a survey. I know you're excited to, to contribute <laughs> to it. Please give us bonus Please, points yeah, give us bonus for points. investigating that's, you when it wasn't warranted. Right. Yeah. But we aren't taking any disciplinary action. So we're, we're great with that. The next letter up is what we call a private letter of concern. So the medical board uh, has found something to be concerned about, whether it was you were dating your former patient, but it wasn't clear that you transferred care appropriately, or you know, we have a, a reviewer who, who found um, concerns with your care, but doesn't rise to the level of, of censuring you. So here's a, here's a letter saying, keep in mind what happened, don't do it again, be careful about it, change your practice, but we're not making this public. It's non-disciplinary okay, and yeah. the public cannot see it. It's so not it, a disciplinary That's action. not considered disciplinary action. So if somebody gets a private letter of concern and they're later answering questions on recredentialing or something like that, have you ever been disciplined by a medical board? At least in North Carolina, if you get a private letter of concern, you can answer that question, no. That's right. Okay. That's right. The next letter up, the public letter of concern, is considered non-disciplinary, but it's kind of oxymoronic because it goes to the public. It gets posted on the physician's publicly available web profile. So anybody can go in and see, oh, here's a letter of concern from the medical board that you did something wrong, but it says it's non-disciplinary. So Mm -hmm. we don't like those, but... It's still not disciplinary, so it's better than getting dinged. That's right. (laughs) That's right. It's better than getting dinged. Sometimes it's been 
kind of unusual, but I've seen it a, a few times in recent years where they'll issue what's called an interim letter. letter I've seen, I've saw, I just saw one of those recently. Maybe they're doing them more and more lately because of their backlog at the medical board or, or whatnot. But what a, an interim letter of concern is kind of like a delayed action where the medical board identifies an issue mm-hmm. and, and we have addressed that issue and told them how we have fixed the problem going forward. And so we've instituted policies and protocols and better record keeping or, or what have you that the medical board was concerned with. And they say, that's great. We're going to come back to you in six months to a year. We'll grab a few of your charts, make sure you're doing exactly what you say you're doing. And at that time, if you're in compliance, then then you get a pass, mm-hmm. essentially. But if you're not in compliance, then it's a different story. You've failed to comply and, and you're probably facing yeah. some sort of disciplinary. Yeah. It's, like you, you, it's like you've done something, go take this class. And then, you know, once we've made sure that you've done that, then we're done. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And sometimes you're done with a private letter of concern. Sometimes you're still done and get a public letter of concern, even if you comply with those requests. Seriously? Yeah. In fact, I have one that looks like that's the road we're going down right now. He did everything that they asked him to do. After an interim? Mm -hmm. Okay. That was not how I understood them, but... There's sometimes, and that's part of the issue with the medical board is you don't always know how aggressive they're going to be on any particular matter. You know, between the three of us, we have dozens of years of experience dealing with the medical board and have dealt with lots of these problems. So we have a, a good feel and we know the attorneys at the medical board. We can have candid mm-hmm. conversations with them. We know what they're aggressive about and what they're not. And but at the same time, we, we do get surprised every once in a while. Mm-hmm. What impact does getting disciplinary action against your license have on a on a physician or yeah. potentially have on a physician? Well, you did you finish the other? You said interim, oh, well, uh, but uh, that I didn't. I don't think, I oh, think he still didn't finish all the spectrum. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, it's I mean the next levels are going to be the disciplinary the actions, mm-hmm. right? I mean where they can issue um, some kind of probation, suspension, or flat out termination. Revoke your license. Yeah. Revoke your license. Yeah. Um, Suspend. Yeah. Sometimes they'll stay it. Um, I, I know I've seen them sometime recently where they there's a, a fairly egregious error, but you know the medical board, you know, for all its faults, does a lot of times try to help physicians be, be better and mm-hmm. and help the public. And so sometimes they'll stay a suspension of a license, and, and again with the hope that in a year you're doing okay you're good, and you're yeah. you're back in good shape and you're providing good care. But yeah, if, if you if you get dinged with a disciplinary action, it can have a, a variety of impacts depending on the severity, of course. The first is, you know, it's going to be reported to the National Practitioner Data Bank. That's kind of like your report card in a way um, that yeah. follows you everywhere. And uh, any potential employer, any any privileging body, hospitals, that sort of thing, are going to pull that uh, profile. And if they see that, you've got some explaining to do. Yeah. You know, it's going to follow you for a long, a long, long time. time. And, and to other medical boards, like if you're licensed in a couple of different states and you get a disciplinary action in North Carolina and you're licensed in South Carolina, you may have another, a whole, whole nother, a whole nother, a whole nother, a whole nother, a whole nother um, uh, process to go through with the other. Yeah. Cause they do their own thing. They're, they don't, they don't all walk hand in hand. They're, they're all their individual governing bodies from state to state. Yeah. And one of the things that I think a lot of practitioners forget about, and and occasionally I think sometimes we do too, is if you get a disciplinary action, you get a private letter, even if it's technically our board doesn't consider it disciplinary action, your board certifying body uh, want yeah. in 
you are supposed to update them on any action involving um, your state medical board. And a lot of them will revoke your board certification for action taken against you by a medical board. Once you lose your board certification, if you are hospital-based, you lose your credentials to provide care in the hospital. It, yeah, bad. So it's really... Dominoes. Yeah. So, and it, and it may be that you're not going to lose your board certification because you got a private or a public letter of concern that is quote unquote non-disciplinary, but you still are, have an obligation to update your board certifying body or your overarching body like the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons wants to hear about things like this. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they are then going to you know, revoke your membership or anything like that. But if they do, that causes a snowball effect down the road in terms of your privileges and everything like that, that everybody should also keep in mind. And again, is another really good reason why you need a lawyer to make sure. And to that point too, every state's medical board is different. Some are super aggressive, some are not. I had a a client who had a DUI issue that resulted in a medical board action in North Carolina. She was also licensed in New York So it got reported. New York instituted the same type of suspension. She fulfilled all the obligations in North Carolina, and North Carolina issued their report, the the order that said, you've done everything, you are now have no limitations on your license, you're you're good to go. New York didn't change it Mm -hmm. and and left it in place. Mm -hmm. So she had a suspension of her New York license, and then when she went to go, get um, a job in another state, they wouldn't give her uh, the the license in that state because of the New York action. She had not spent really any time in New York, and and yet New York would not help her in getting out of that. So there were far-reaching consequences Mm -hmm. of of that medical board action in, in North Carolina. Simply couldn't be fixed. What is this thing you have? I just see this on here. Um, preferred provider organizations and third-party payers. What's that? Same thing. If you lose your license or you lose your credentials, you can get removed from being able to provide services or so get, like paid, get paid for yeah. services. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the the yeah. insurance companies that you have to be approved by, they they monitor other reports put out by CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, so that if you run into an issue in, with any state's uh, Medicare Medicaid program, then you risk losing your standing yeah. to be able to take insurance. And if you do that, you're, you're not going to get paid. You're going to go out of business and you can't, you can't practice as a physician. And you better hope paid. you had that malpractice coverage to pay for us. And what about, <laughs> like, did you say the, D, did you say something about the DEA as well? The Drug Enforcement Administration? I, I did not mention the DEA. Can but they, they do something too? Well, if, especially on these, the opioid Opioids. issues, yeah. they, and, and I did have a case recently where we were very afraid that the DEA was going to get involved um, with, with this particular physician. So, and they, if they get involved, we aren't the ones who are going to help you. You are going to get a criminal defense attorney, yeah. and that is a whole other. A whole nother. There it goes again. A whole nother. <laughs> and that is, I mean, and we we do see that very frequently, just as another aside, where we are handling a board matter for a physician who simultaneously has a criminal lawyer 
who's also assisting them. So particularly in instances involving boundary violations, there can be criminal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There can be criminal charges on top of uh, the medical board issues. And that raises a good point, how physicians become aware of the complaints. We didn't Mm -hmm. address this in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, the vast majority of time, it's a letter that comes Mm -hmm. in and says, here's the complaint, respond. And actually now in COVID land, it's email. Yeah. And and, and some of them are getting stuck in spam Yes, I I have the same exact thing. Oh my gosh, it's terrible. Yeah, because because even if you've whitelisted... Uh, med- NCMB, it's it's something else. It, there's something else where it comes from, um, the notifications or whatever. It's a different, mm-hmm. it, yeah. yeah. And then, of, of course, with cybersecurity, everybody gets scared so much of, of emails Opening of something. spam and, yeah. and phishing that I do have a physician who ignored the first two emails because he thought they were spam. He wasn't expecting them, didn't know that they were actually medical boards. Yeah. So, so the, the third one that they actually mailed to him said, please explain why he didn't respond yeah. to mm-hmm. the earlier yeah. uh, requests. But so responding to a letter, that's easy enough. You get it in the mail or the email. But if, if you get a call as a physician from an investigator saying, hey, I want to talk to you about this, you need to say, I'm going to get an attorney and just hold on a second because the the field investigators generally are are pretty doggone aggressive and they are not your friend as as friendly as they like to be. They are all retired officers from some type of criminal background. That's right. So that's the perspective that they're coming from. I will say my experience has been with the attorneys as well as the investigators has been pretty straightforward. I haven't found any, uh, I can't even think of an experience where I had somebody that I didn't, I couldn't trust their word. I have. You have. Um, Yeah, I've I've had a a recent one who joined the medical board in the last three or four years. But we have gotten to know a lot of the investigators as well. And so that's part of it. We will ask, you know, who called you? And so we'll know and know what to expect and know how to deal with that particular person. Yeah, absolutely. And I think once we are involved, I think that the attitude and the approach may be a little bit different than if there is a physician who is not represented and that the, you know, that there's the risk there that the investigators will be more aggressive in the absence of a lawyer sitting with the physician or the nurse practitioner or the PA at the time that they're interviewed. And again, I think that this investigation creep issue that we talked about earlier is also really important in terms of being able to prepare you for that interview with the investigator, because the investigator is not just going to ask questions that are specific to just this little area of the complaint. That little complaint could have a broader implication. And so it's really important to really consider all of the potential areas that you're going to be questioned about in that interview and not just the one complaint. I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, that's easy. I didn't do that. Boom. No, <laughs> let's back up. There are there are a few more tentacles here that we need to deal with to get right. you ready. You know, when you were talking about boundary violations earlier, the one there's one that didn't get mentioned that I think is important. So the medical board regulates public safety is essentially what their what their goal is. In the healthcare yes, setting, yeah. Yes, exactly. And when you look at what the things are in the Medical Practice Act that you can violate, it's, you know, standard care, uh, unprofessionals and whatever, but the, um, the big broad one is the professional conduct. And that can be very broadly construed by the medical board 
which is how you get into the Facebook posts or the TikToks. You know, were you behaving even outside of your your practice clinical setting? Were you behaving appropriately to represent the practice of medicine in North Carolina? So this is where all these other pieces come in. And I will say that they do definitely regulate office conduct. So not just boundary violations with patients or touching. They also will get involved if a office staff member or members have been made to feel uncomfortable or harassed, or if there is an affair between, you know, the physician and, and 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 her assistant or whatever it may be. So they do get involved in things that you wouldn't necessarily think are the actual clinical practice of medicine, a little bit different, just on that professionalism. I mean, wing. how about right now this kind of national push to discipline physicians for making statements in the public about treatment of COVID, COVID. with oh, ivermectin, yeah. Yeah. Um, whether or not they, yeah, I've they seen have <laughs> the opinion that the masks do or do not work. The medical boards across the country are investigating physicians right now for making those types of comments in public. And we, are, we have at least three such complaints that we are defending right now at the medical board. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's, you made me think of one that I had that sort of involved the social media aspect and a physician made a pro vaccination comment on a social media platform that the, another patient later found and accused him of discrimination against her because she had not been vaccinated. So yeah, there, it, it just, it can spiral out of control quickly. Absolutely does. Yeah, I mean, in, in the medical board, sometimes it's it's good to have the attorneys because we know when to push back as well. You know, what is uh, there, yeah. what is a subject that is really falls underneath the umbrella of the medical board and its regulations of licensees mm-hmm. versus, you know, what is really an HR issue? Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a, a matter recently where a staff member who was taking patients' temperatures at the door um, saw a, a cute patient come in and he took a card of a physician and wrote on the back of it, let's connect and put his Facebook profile name on it mm. and handed it to the girl. The girl was a minor. And, Ooh, um, not good. Yeah. So everybody gets upset. Whoops. Rightfully so, <laughs> right? The parents are very upset. You know, some of the, the, the police, I think, looked at it a little bit. But then, oh, of course, gosh. they went to the medical board and, and an investigator comes in and but this was really, not even a, me- a doctor really grills the doctor whose name was on the card. Oh, his name was on the card. Oh, and so oh, oh, oh. that's so he was the subject of the investigation. He did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. He had no idea. He was in the back seeing patients oh, when the staff member acted inappropriately. And of course, the practice took action. The staff member was relieved of duty shortly after that. But the medical board it was was looking at it hard and and they really wanted to do it. So we we had to push back and say, no, 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 this is an HR issue. Right. This is not all under your umbrella. So what they ended up doing is they sent a letter to the board of the practice saying, we are concerned about this. We just want to make sure that it is fully in your attention. And, and that sort of thing. And then the medical bo- and then the, the board of the practice wrote back saying, thank you. We appreciate that. We also take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And we we took it seriously. We do at the we time. have to do? Yeah. 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 So everybody in the end of the day was on the same page. Mm-hmm. But this this poor physician who did absolutely nothing wrong was stuck in the crosshairs uh, of this you know, they, investigation. They don't say so the other thing that I know that they definitely don't get involved in is complaints about billing. We get those all the time. No, no. When I, hold on. What I mean is, what I mean is, I want my money back because I don't like the way my teeth look or whatever it is. No, but if there is a clinical component to the complaint, 
that says, I shouldn't have been billed for this because I wasn't told that this was going to be part of my treatment. In other words, I wasn't fully informed. They didn't get full informed consent from me. The board is still requiring us to respond to complaints about that. But if they are solely writing to the board and saying, I just want my money back. Or he was mean to me or she was mean to me. Oh, then, no, we get those but, all the time. Yeah, but I've never seen anybody take action on those. No, no, no. Never. But we still Bedside have to respond to Bedside manner is not them. regulated. It just, if right. unless unless they can come, unless they feel like it comes in the professionalism and, category. And mm-hmm. sort of the frustration is why don't they screen some of those, yeah. right? I mean, it, yeah. the, the patient claims discrimination in a lot of those as well and informed consent and that sort of thing. They'll require us to, to do a response. Mm, yeah. But, yeah, I haven't seen a, an action taken on a no, position under no. those circumstances. So I know we had we could go on and on on this for um, I said this for should days. Be this several should probably, parts. Yeah, we, I think we'll probably need to bring Scott back another time and and have him talk about kind of how can we avoid complaints. Yeah. <laughs> but what what are kind of the top three or four things that a physician should do once they either receive the notice that the complaint has been filed against them in writing, or they get contacted by the investigator to say, hey, I'm coming in. Or even sometimes, just beware medical care providers, they just show up at your office and they're standing at your front desk and they're asking your staff to let them in the back to meet with you. What should they do? Yeah, well, well first of all, if they show up or call, just know that they don't have an automatic right to sit down with you uh, before you obtain counsel. You absolutely have the right to counsel and you can tell them, we can do this, but another day once once it's once I get a lawyer, and they actually have to give you. It's not a Miranda warning in the criminal context, but right. it's a similar right. um, notice that they're required to provide before they interview. Miranda you. meaning you have the right to remain silent. Right. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I would strongly recommend that you never agree to speak to an investigator until you reach out to either your your carrier, your your hospital, your, your risk management department, um, your office manager probably should know who the right people are to contact, right? Your practice manager. You don't have to tell everybody in your practice, but you know, find the person who who knows whether or not uh, you have an attorney for the for your practice or for your insurance carrier. That's absolutely the first thing uh, you should do so that you can become educated on the process and, and know what to expect and get fully prepared. And that's true whether you are innocent or guilty of something. Right. You right. know, because, yeah, either way, it doesn't. It, well, also, it takes time to respond to this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, physicians, they're busy, 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 and they don't need to take the time to respond to this. That's We get paid to do it. They pay their, their policies mm-hmm. so that they can have help with that. We do this all the time. We know what to say, how to say it. And um, let us take that off your your shoulders. And mm-hmm. um, that's, that's kind of our thing. And so those are the things they should do. Mm-hmm. What are the things they should not do upon receiving a complaint or reach out from an investigator? Obviously, you don't want to reach out to the complainant and, and try and say something negative to them or influence them or, or do anything that would be deemed harassment or retaliatory. That's absolutely a no-brainer. What about calling it's, them and just asking them to withdraw the complaint? Don't do that. It don't, doesn't matter, does it? Doesn't it doesn't matter. <laughs> Once doesn't matter. the board has a complaint, mm-hmm. that's it. They're done. That's They're right. going to investigate. And I, I, we all have had that occasion come up where the complainant withdrew or said they were withdrawing the complaint. It doesn't matter. Once the medical board gets a complaint, they have a duty to investigate. So don't even bother dealing with that. 
Don't ever sit down with the investigator when they show up at your office. Uh, we've covered that. Don't destroy don't, any medical records. Don't destroy any form of communication. Don't change the record. Don't change anything. Change Which, right. I mean, we used to have to say that all the time. But with the EMRs now, electronic medical records, it's almost impossible yeah. to go in and make a change or to delete something without leaving a digital trail. So even if you're thinking about doing that, don't do it. We'll be able to tell that you did it or somebody else will. Mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Well, I think uh, coming away from this, the the big, the big takeaways. Oh, he's got he's got no, like, he's got, one a, he's got a footnote. No, one footnote. One thing you can't do is ignore it. Do oh, yeah. not ignore <clears throat> um, a, a complaint, or yep. because that in itself is a, a separate issue. And, and that, that's I think I would call that bold underline, not necessarily footnote. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. You have to deal with these yeah. things. So the takeaways, the closing argument, so to speak, is mm -hmm. these are significant issues. You can't ignore them. You should have legal counsel. And hopefully the no further action letter will be the outcome for you. But without getting a lawyer involved, your risks are higher in getting one of those other forms of action. And the large majority of them are no further action. Mm -hmm. You know, they really are. So it's not something to get all wound up. It's something to take very seriously. But it's not necessarily something that, um, you know, you should be producing so much anxiety, I guess, depending on the, the nature of it. But, you know. Yeah, and I love your use of the word risk, right? Physicians and attorneys both love risk stratification. And and by, by getting an attorney to help you with this, you lower the risk of an adverse outcome from this particular action. So that, that's what we're here to do is, is to help you lower that risk, take the stress off your shoulders. A lot of physicians are very intense people, right? Mm -hmm. that, that led to them being in that position in no, the first place. Never and so, happened. so when these complaints come in, some of them take it very personally and, and yeah. they're very excited about it and worried about it and they lose sleep over it. And so getting someone who deals with this on a daily basis to just talk them through it, calm them down, show them that they are one of... 5,000 complaints over the mm -hmm. course of a year. And, they have to and you, you really don't need to worry about this. It goes a long way. And, and, and it's one reason why this is one of the areas of my practice that I truly love because it, it does deal with the professionalism and the licensure and, and, and these folks practice who are have really devoted their lives to helping mm -hmm. people. I mean, the vast majority are doing great work uh, for people and, and really trying hard. And, and this is something that I find that that they are uh, even more appreciative of our help in these matters than in, in malpractice cases when it's just about money, really. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Scott, for being here. I guess closing. We did. We did what? We just did. We summarized everything already. I know. Yeah. Do you want to summarize it thanks. again? No. <laughs> thanks for listening. I think, I think we nailed it. Download us, rate us, wherever you get your podcasts. Dory always says you have to email us. Something about emails. Oh, I can't remember. And email us. Something yes, about we have to email Trying to win. Trying to win at LincolnDur.com. <laughs>